good morning once again. It is now 9 a.m. on the nose on this Monday, the 29th of March. Third month of 2021 goes out like a lamb, and we welcome you to Community Pulse, our locally produced program on the coronavirus pandemic here in mid-Missouri on 89.5 FM, KOPN Columbia, your community radio station. We're so very pleased to have you with us live today. As a reminder of our production schedule, you can catch Community Pulse live 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. on Mondays and Wednesdays. The episodes are then immediately archived to our website, kopn.org, kopn.org. For that matter, all of all of our programming is automatically archived there. And you can catch us on Facebook a little bit later in the day with uh, the episode, along with some links, some germane links to the day's discussion. And the entire catalog of Community Pulse is, as always, available on Apple and Spotify podcasts. So we're very glad to have you here with us today for what is going to be a discussion show. We'll be talking with Dr. Elizabeth Alleman, our Uber volunteer here at the community radio station, host of Your Health Matters, also a local family physician who is quite busy. And she's here to discuss um, the two topics that are probably the central topics at this stage of the pandemic. Um, We obviously have vaccines to discuss and also good indoor safety and health uh, amongst air filtration systems and things of that nature. So good morning to you, Dr. Alleman. Happy spring. How are you? Good morning. I am way more happy with uh, sunshine and milder weather which, you know, it's just sort of a setup for disappointment because winter's coming again. But, um, yeah, so it's really good to be um, always, as always, on the air um, at KOPN and to have uh, to hear your cheerful voice as well. Um, We, (coughs) just to start with numbers about um, COVID, we have... um, uh, continued cases at a sort of a low smoldering level in uh, Boone County. Our seven, five-day average is 19 cases. That doesn't seem to be going up or down, uh, but the message to Columbians is that we, and Boone County residents, is that we continue to have people getting infected, people getting sick, people being hospitalized, um, but uh, at a lower rate than uh, during the um, winter months. Our hospital status is, our hospitals are operating in the green status, um, and uh, vaccinations are happening. Uh, we see increasing cases in the state of, across the state of Missouri um, and increasing cases in the United States, and a really um, a rapidly increasing cases across the world, especially in Europe and South America. And I think what we're beginning to see, you know, it's like so interesting when we're in crisis, our focus narrows, of course. And so many of us have been very focused on keeping ourselves um, safe and keeping our families safe and then, you know, keeping our communities and our state safe. But I think that um, for me, I feel like I've been able to sort of lift my gaze and see, like, what is happening in the rest of the world and um, being reminded that this is a um, infectious diseases don't respect uh, international or state or county boundaries. And uh, we really aren't done with this. This won't be over for any of us until it's over for all of us. And we really have this huge discrepancy in vaccinations worldwide. Um, we do have vaccinations happening at a pretty impressive pace, almost 3 million vaccinations per day are being um, injected into um, uh, 
patients in the United States, um, and we're starting to um, get to, you know, uh, where are we here? Uh, we're at about 25% nationwide. Uh, Missouri is really uh, sort of struggling and beginning to stumble. It appears that there's a deliberate um, uh, distribution of vaccines to um, away from the population centers of the state. Um, I'm really hoping that we're going to see that shift soon. Um, and I'm sort of bracing myself for the chaos that's coming. So as of today, you know, Missouri rolled out the vaccine like all states did, you know, in phases. So we did phase one, which were the people we felt like were the most critical to get protected, not just for them, but for all of us. We, you know, as as people who listen to this show know that I've been staying, stayed laser focused on making sure our healthcare systems, doing whatever I could to support that our hospital systems would continue to function. And we seem to have gotten through so far with the hospitals in Missouri being really stressed, but we have not seen a collapse of our hospital systems uh, that many people feared. Uh, so we, you know, vaccinated our most vulnerable, the people who are most likely to get hospitalized and the hospital workers first. So that was phase one. Many other people were included in that. We've now, and we've had three tiers in phase one. Now, today, phase two is open. Um, and so that means a whole lot more people are um, going to be eligible for vaccination. And um, uh, that means, but we... We just have millions more people who can get in line, but we do not have millions more vaccines ready for them. So um, let's see. I am trying to look to see. I think that I'm not sure. I'm going to spend a little time looking at that, and I'm sure that Jenny will update us on Wednesday about who is available in phase two. But that means that we're just going to have a whole lot more people who want um Vaccines, and so perhaps I, uh, I, we, I could ask. Yeah, I mean, ahead. do you at this juncture recommend people, you know, perhaps going down to their pharmacy, going down to high V, and just just asking? No, no. Um, we we don't we don't need. Um, so there there is a system for all of this. It is not the easiest system, but um, it's my understanding that there the system right now includes going to the covidvaccine.mo.gov site and and registering there. Okay, but do not stop there. This, we are not, this is now an act. If you want a vaccine, you need to do some things. You can't, it, initially it was just sign up and we'll get in touch with you. That has been abandoned. Nobody is going to call you. So what you, or maybe a friend, but there's no government system for contacting people who have signed up. So what you do is you sign up. Once you're registered on the site, um, you can, it will give you a code of some sort, and then you can take that code to go to um, things like vaccinespotter.org or to a Walmart website or a Hy-Vee website or a Walgreens website or Sam's Health Mart or a uh, Sam's Club um, uh, or your local pharmacy website to register for a vaccine. And then at that point, you can look at uh, appointments. If you have the means to travel to rural Missouri, we're asking that you do that, even if it would be difficult, because we have 
people who live in cities who don't have a car or don't have gas money or can't take time off work. Um, and many people are going to say, oh, but I can't take time off work either. I have limited sick time. I am encouraging people to really lean into um, le- doing whatever it takes so that um, our pay- people our communities um, who are really um, struggling and uh, having difficulty getting to a vaccine site will be able to get to one inside the city limits of Columbia. Uh, perhaps we'll... um, the, vac- the vaccines continue to be distributed in large quantities to places in the boot heel and in northern Missouri. <clears throat> right. So, I mean, obviously, we, <laughs> I mean, to repeat the, the process, the, the very important process, a simple process, but one that takes some legwork nonetheless. The initial website that you go to is? covidvaccine.mo.gov. Correct. And there you get your code, and you can use that code. Yes. The code is sort of a passport that you can use for other websites like vaccinespotter.org, like your local pharmacy's yes. website, to get a vaccine appointment. Yes. Okay. And... Yeah. So, and I'm still encouraging people to um, to get a vaccine, to get the first one that you can get. Many of my patients and my friends are starting to ask these questions, like, "Well, but for my particular condition, is one vaccine safer than another?" And I think there is a small um, advantage, and uh, that people who have had a history of anaphylaxis. It's not just, oh, I have some allergies, but people who have had respiratory difficulty or had um, low blood pressure and carry an EpiPen or need to get epinephrine when they are exposed to their allergen, that those people perhaps should avoid the Pfizer vaccine. Um, And they should for sure mention that to the person who's vaccinating them when they arrive for their vaccine so that um, if there is more information about that, the vaccinators are staying, as you might imagine, way more up to date on the details of the different vaccines, that that can be something that is shifted around. So when you do go to your pharmacy website or the vaccinespotter.org to get your appointment, you can usually see whether that's a Pfizer or Moderna or a Johnson & Johnson vaccine. So. Excellent. um, Yeah. And, and apparently in two weeks, we're going to open up the whole state. So if you're in phase two, then um, you, can start to get, you, you can start to get appointments as of today. Actually, you could get them last week. And I think um, communities experiencing disparities of uh, like African-Americans and other vulnerable communities based on race and ethnicity can are now um, in the current group. So if you're in the phase two group, and you want to be vaccinated, um, this is your time. So because um, in a couple of weeks, we're going to um, the state's going to be opened up to everybody. Um, and I'm excited about that. I think that people who've been so eager to get it are um, have been waiting a long time. And I'm happy that we're getting people um, a plan- chance to get in line. Um, these times, just because it's open to you, does not necessarily mean that there will be it'll be easy to get a vaccine. Um, but there are uh, people who are willing to help you, um, and I am searching for that. It's Central Missouri Vaccine. I can't remember. There is a Facebook page that we will post a link to um, of uh, the vaccine sharks. These are mostly women who are um, volunteers, and they are they figured out how to make this system work, and they will help people 
get vaccine appointments. They would like for you, if you're going to ask them to help you get an appointment, that you aren't going to keep using other ways to get an appointment because some of these appointments, once they're taken, they don't go. They And if you cancel them, they they don't really have a mechanism to put them back up on the website. So especially if you've gotten yourself uh, one of these really lovely uh, scarce vaccine appointments in a, um, a metropolitan area, um, and then if you cancel that because you got a, an earlier one or somehow it worked out better for you, that that appointment just goes away. Now, the vaccine doesn't go away. I'm not sure what happens to the vaccine, but that appointment goes away, and it creates a little bit of chaos and hardship on the people who are vaccinating. So once you get an appointment, it is requested that you keep that appointment rather than dancing around to try to get a better one. But people should do what they need to do. Um, I also wanted to think about one of the questions that's been on my mind is like, Okay, like how likely is it um, that people, like it continues to ask the question, once I get vaccinated, how likely am I to be a part of spreading the, the infection? So what we have been, what we are discovering in our um, studies is that the vaccines are very, very effective in preventing death. So far, in the studies that we've done of the, so the randomized controlled trials, the best studies we have of the vaccines that were done before they were rolled out of the three that we have, there have been Z, there were zero COVID deaths in the vaccinated people. So we almost, I, I am not aware of a time in my career where we rolled out a new medicine that was 100% effective. It is more like 90, these numbers where we see 75%, 95% effective, what they're talking about is symptomatic disease. And they're somewhere in the 90% effective in preventing serious disease that require hospitalization. And that has kind of been our big point about why we should take this virus seriously in the first place, is that there were certain numbers of people, maybe 10 to 15% of people who would be hospitalized if they got this vaccine, if they got the virus, and that a certain number of people, somewhere you know five or ten percent, depending on your age, would be likely to would would die from the the, the infection. And what we have is vaccines that are very effective, not a hundred percent effective in preventing hospitalization, and apparently close to a hundred percent effective in preventing death. Um, so, and all three vaccines seem to be similarly effective in preventing severe illness and death, so hospitalization and death, which is the main thing that we wanted to avoid. Now, most of us would also like to avoid feeling bad for four or five days, or and none of us want to get the symptoms of long COVID, but those are much less common, the symptoms of long COVID. Well, it's a point, so the question... Uh, yeah, go ahead. I'm sorry. Well, I, I just wanted to reiterate that point. I mean, it's a point that we reiterate every week. We talk about that this every right. week on this show, that when you read that a vaccine is 65% effective, 74% effective, that's that number applies to actually contracting the virus. It does not apply to, uh, to necessarily to hospitalization and or death. So, I mean, that, that's, yeah. I mean and, we, and we just can't emphasize that enough because it's so misleading when people right. look at that. So just, just say that when people say it's this percent effective, just know that's an incomplete sentence. 
of course. Effective about preventing what? And what we don't know, the distinction I want to make is that there's the, so far what we have is effective in preventing symptomatic infections. Sadly, when we did these vaccine trials, we did not swab everybody's nose every day to see who got asymptomatic infections. We just didn't do it. And we will, we're not going to go back and do that. We are not going to do another randomized control trial where we allocate half of the people to a placebo and half of the people to active vaccine. We're not going to do that again. So we will never get that level of data. But what people are coming up with is other levels of data. So I wanted to talk about a letter to the New England Journal of Medicine from March the 23rd. And it is a report on a um, people gathering data. It's not a study. They gathered data from an experience that they were doing. So what happened is that um, in uh, California, we started vaccinating healthcare workers in December, like we did across the rest of the world and the, and the rest of the country. And at about the same time, um, the University of California, San Diego, and the University of California, Los Angeles began, let's see, they vaccinated healthcare workers starting on December 16th. On December 2nd, in addition to defining a low threshold of testing, asymptomatic, of testing of symptomatic persons, USSD mandated that asymptomatic healthcare workers undergo weekly testing. And on the 26th, UCLA instituted an optional testing program for asymptomatic health care workers. And both of these, they swabbed their noses and did the PCR test, that one that takes a day or two to come back, or three or four hours, or but not the 45-minute rapid test. So this is the, the best test we have at picking up uh, cases. Now, there's also always a false negative uh, rate, and there, I guess, could theoretically be a false positive rate. <clears throat> but this is the best test we have. This is a test when, you know, people have been doing through the drive-through units that are now closed in, Missouri, in, in central Missouri. So th they looked at... Um, whether people turned positive, they, they somehow were able to overlay the date of people's vaccines with the date of their positive test if they turned positive. And what they saw was that you could see it, um, that the, uh, the rate of people with a new infection, a new positive PCR test, uh, goes way down. So they, let's see. Um, they uh, so in the out of fourteen thousand people tested um, on days one through seven after the first dose of the vaccine there were one hundred and forty five cases days eight through fourteen there was one hundred and twenty five so a, not much different by day fifteen there were only fifty seven so a third of the number of cases that there were in those first couple of days um, and then after dose two. Day one through seven, it was 22, so half again, um, so like a sixth. And by day 15, after the second dose, there were only seven new cases. So what we're seeing is that um, there's a marked decline in the, in the number of people who have a positive PCR test after the second dose of their vaccine. Now, this does not take things down to zero, and so if you're counting on your contact with vaccinated people to be zero risk, that's not going to be true. But it is way lower risk. 
And as you can see that, it, and then when we think about this, it's like, okay, so a further layer of protection would be if we could get community spread down. So then not only would you be your body be unlikely to get let the virus replicate in your nose, you would also be less likely to be exposed. So this is how sort of herd immunity that we call it, you know, a decrease. All of these, all of the ways we've been trying to prevent and decrease community spread, sort of layer on top of vaccination. So um, uh, sometimes people say things like, "Well, if vaccination is so good, why do we still need to wear masks?" And that I say, "Well, if your brakes on your car are so good and speed limits work, why would you wear your seatbelt?" So, um, you know, car automobile safety is my sort of go-to of a comparison. Like we just really overlay, you know, we got anti-lock brakes, we have traffic laws, and we also wear seatbelts, and then we have airbags, and uh, we de- redesign cars so that the engines don't end up in our laps. There are layers on layers, and the space program is like that as well. When we really care about um, having something not happen, we have many layers of uh, attempting to protect it. So then the other thing that I wanted to talk, so that's that. Do you have questions about that, Peter? No, I think it's an excellent article. We'll be linking to it. It's in The Lancet. And um, no, it just it just goes to show that many vaccinated people are still going to get the virus, perhaps be asymptomatic. And that is why we have that mm-hmm. extra layer of protection. And studies like this, uh, you know, hopefully we'll we'll get more of them. I know that we're rolling back testing, and that's something that you can argue is not a good idea, but <clears throat> indeed, um, the yeah, study it, helps you understand why we still need to wear masks and why we still need to be uh, cautious in terms of, of preventing transmission among vaccinated population. Yeah, so, and just to, the message is, yes, you can still get um, a, a positive PCR test after vaccination, but it is way less likely. So we get way down to, um, you know, we really do are preventing community spread by vaccination as well. And then the other thing is I was wanting to know, like, okay, but how does that compare to the protection of infection? And no one can really, you know, you can't really overlay those like, oh, well, you know, the infection protects you by this much percent and the vaccination protects you by that much percent. But the truth is that you can, you can get reinfected. Um, And uh, so this was a, we'll link this again too. It's a, um, a population-based study in Denmark. Actually, it's not a study. It's, again, looking at um, their pattern of positive PCR tests. And they are, again, they have this big database so they can look at people who tested positive during their first wave and then how many of them had a positive test in the second wave. And some of them did, but it was way less than than you'd expect um, in the population. So, we get protection both from vaccination and infection. And because these studies, these are not, neither of them were studies and they were with no, it was not designed to ask this question. We really can't compare apples and oranges, but I am going to continue to beat the drum that if a vaccinated person can do a thing, a recovered from the infection person should be able to do the same thing. That, that's kind of the point I wanted to make by looking at those things and we can we can link both of those studies. And then I was also like, okay, well how does this protection against uh, reinfection compare to say uh, the risk of reinfection for chickenpox? And I'm just gonna say it looks like we've never really asked that question. That in um, general <laughs> when, when I go looking for 
what, what is, how common is reinfection with chickenpox? What I hear is that almost everybody presumes that if you get chickenpox a second time, that you were likely misdiagnosed the first time. And, and so it is true that chickenpox can be misdiagnosed. It is also this interesting thing of like if you don't, you know, some things have to be seen to be believed and other things have to be believed to be able to be seen. So if you believe that reinfection doesn't happen, then you will never be able to document it because you're just going to presume that that's not really what you're seeing when that might be what's in front of you. So we don't have a really good um, uh, I, I don't know how to actually think about how how effective infection is in preventing reinfection for COVID. And I'm hoping that somebody really smart is going to come up with a way to help me think about that. Um, and then I also wanted to talk about there was a question a listener said, what about what about room air filters? Like talk about that. And I did a little bit of reading about this several months ago. And I'm really glad that the listener asked the question because, honestly, I had decided to buy air filters, and at the time, air filters were hard to get, and so it went down on my to-do list. So I'm going to move it up on my to-do list. So thank you very much for the reminder. And I think that they work a little, but nowhere near as well as opening a window. Um, so, and you need to, they, you have to shop carefully for them. So many filters don't filter particles small enough. Um, and again, like when we talk about masks, any filtration is better than no filtration. Um, and because the many of the viruses float around on fairly on larger droplets. But the larger droplets fall to the floor pretty quickly in a room. And so the ones we're trying to get out of the air are these um, aerosols, which are finer. And so it takes a little bit of reading. Um, but there is some data that if you replace your furnace filters with MERV-13, M-E-R-V-13 filters, that you may be able to measurably reduce aerosols. And of course, all these studies are done on uh, experimentally uh, generated aerosols, not on actual looking at COVID particles floating in the air. Um, uh, but they do show that you can um, reduce the number of uh, aerosol particles floating in the air if you have a um, if you do the MERV 13 filters. I did talk to my um, HVAC person, and they said, "Yeah, you can do that. You have to watch your furnace to see whether it'll tolerate that because it's more resistant to airflow." And they get dirty quicker, so you need to be sure that you're on a system where you're replacing them every month. Um, and then there are, you know, standalone devices like HEPA filters that you can um, put in a room. And they need to be sized appropriately for the room, and they, they also need to have their filters um, removed or washed frequently enough. But a HEPA filter um, is generally uh, considered um, effective if it has enough, if it turns over the air enough. But it's, you know, we look at these room filters, and I don't remember the numbers, but it was something like, oh, the room filters will decrease particles by about 10, 15 percent, but opening a window reduces particles by about 80 percent. 
So that's you know this we're in the we're in the springtime we're keeping windows open it's easy from a, a climate control like temperature situation but makes it difficult for people with uh, respiratory allergies to the pollen that's in our system and our air right now and um, so there's always this balance of you know especially if you're talking about a workplace I've also had people ask me about fans and fans are tricky it. It is. We have seen these, and I can. We can link to an article that I sent you. Um, there was a really um, early super spreader event in a restaurant where it was the people who were downwind from an air conditioner who were more at risk for turning positive and getting COVID. So an, a fan running in a room that ha- doesn't have windows open is not helpful, and actually may make things worse if it helps keep these small aerosols suspended longer. Um, And I am not an engineer enough to know whether that's true, but I know that you can stir up dust when you run a fan, so it makes sense to me that it might make things worse. And then directional airflow... Yeah, so many of us have Can't fallen put asleep. Can't downwind at risk. So many of us have fallen asleep under a fan and woken up sick. I, I, I suppose that's not a scientifically uh, peer-reviewed study, but I mean, it, it, it would make good intuitive sense that aerosols are sort of sustained and spread through something like that. Well, and what we again, what we've been able to see in at least one event and maybe more than one is that the directionality of of airflow in a room can put the people downwind of the infected person at risk. So my thing is for your money, open the window. If you are a person who has respiratory allergies or works with coworkers that has respiratory allergies, then a a large, appropriately sized, well-designed air filter can be better than nothing, but isn't nearly as good at preventing COVID spread as opening a window. So, Good advice. Yeah. So, and I, again, thank you so much to listeners for asking questions. I hope that um, what we've said today about uh, vaccines, their protection, and um, the and how we're going to get them in Missouri, how a person can get them, they are, you know, it's still, it's protecting all, any, any vaccination protects all of us a little bit. Um, yeah. And so, yeah, the, the thing that I was thinking about is, you know, like we, none of us, like, Trying to fix COVID by vaccinating only uh, people in the United States is like preventing dandelions on your lawn by only pulling them up on your lawn and not um, dealing with them on the neighbor's lawn. And I want to acknowledge that dandelions are lovely and they are an important pollen source for uh, our honeybees and other pollinators who are out now. So I am not advocating for the eradication of dandelions. It's that if you wanted dandelions to be eradicated, you you know your, what happens in your neighbor's lawn matters too. So we've got to deal with um, the global pandemic as a global problem. So thank you so much, Peter. Thanks to the listeners. Wear your mask, wash your hands, take your vitamin D, um, get your vaccine, and uh, cultivate a cheerful confidence that your body can handle a viral infection. Thank you very much, Dr. Alleman. Thank you for another wonderfully informative program. And... Uh, I don't know how many we've done at this point, but it's been well over a year, so you've done just such an excellent job every last time. Thank you for all that you do for KOPN, Dr. Alden. Thank you. Um, well, uh, 
That does about does it for today's edition of Community Pulse. I want to remind you about some of the things that we talked about. There'll be links to the discussion on our Facebook page later today, but for those who don't do social media, I'll go ahead and give you the laundry list now. We talked about an article in the New England Journal of Medicine uh, with respect to uh, you know the <clears throat> getting uh, reinfected. There's also another a good one there in The Lancet. Uh, we also discussed the EPA study about fans and HVACs and all of that indoor health stuff. And at the very beginning of the program, probably the most crucial point, we talked about covidvaccine.mo.gov, covidvaccine.mo.gov. The legwork uh, in getting a vaccine begins there. Then You can then get a code and then use that code to uh, see if you can get an appointment anywhere in the state through vaccinespotter.org or perhaps at your local pharmacy through their own website. That cannot be emphasized enough. It is covidvaccine.mo.gov. So thanks again to everyone for joining us for Community Pulse. We'll be coming your way live again on Wednesday from 9 a.m. to 9.30 a.m. Everything is available now, backdated on the website if you happen to miss anything. And you can also find it on the Facebook feed and Spotify and Apple podcasts. Thanks so much for listening again. And the message from your friends and neighbors over at your community radio station remains. Please stay safe and stay informed. Columbia. Talk to you on Wednesday.